One of the most controversial TV shows from the 1990s featured four childlike aliens apparently marooned on Earth with only a high-tech vacuum cleaner to look after them. I'm actually talking about the Teletubbies. Since it was first broadcast in spring of 2007, it's been the subject of bizarre stories. The Times Educational Supplement linked the show with student drug culture. The tabloid press claimed that Tinky Winky, who was the biggest of the Teletubbies, was in fact a gay icon and part of a conspiracy to introduce kids into queer counterculture. The Washington Post claimed that Tinky Winky was the new Ellen DeGeneres, and Jerry Falwell, the televangelist, claimed that the purple alien was damaging children. And oddly, the person who seemed to get the blame for this made-up controversy was actor Dave Thompson, who had recently been fired from the show's cast. To this day, the received opinion is that it's all his fault. But how much of this story is actually true? I spoke with actor, comedian, novelist and former Teletubby Dave Thompson and began by asking him how he got the role of Tinky Winky in the Teletubbies. Well, I played various parts in Harry Hill's first TV series, which was called Harry Hill's Fruit Fancies. And one of the parts I played was an Egyptian mummy and they had to sew the bandages on my face. And I couldn't come out of it until they came and actually snipped open the bandages and pulled them away from my face. And people said, aren't you claustrophobic being in there? And I said, no, I actually quite like it. And the guy who worked on that got a job working for Ragdoll, who made the Teletubbies. He phoned me up and he asked me to go and audition. I read that you went through some very unusual workshops to get into the character of Tinky Winky. What was that all like? Well, they didn't want to just go and get normal creature performers, because obviously there's a whole load of people who specialise in wearing costumes and doing what they call in the trade suit performing. And they wanted other people who had something else to offer. And the first, the audition, the first one I went to, we had loads of recalls, and apparently I was one of 600 people who went for the role of Tinky Winky. We had to do a bit of stand-up comedy about childhood. We had to do a little performance for children under five, and we had to do group workshop work. And I was about like an hour or an hour and a half late for the audition. And I thought, there's no point going in, because who is going to give anybody a job when they turn up that late? But then I thought, OK, I've come all this way, so I ought to at least go in. Otherwise, I've completely wasted my time. So I went in and uh, I got the job. What's it like inside a Teletubby? It's very, very hot. We did a lot of it in a heat wave. You, went, you have two dressers to get you into the costume. Once the head goes on, you can't come out. You can only see through the mouth because the eyes are actually so high up they're above where your real head is so if your mouth is closed you can't see anything whatsoever you control the eyes and mouth don't you inside the hands which are sort of mitten type hands you have uh, like like they're a bit like bicycle brake levers if the left hand does the eyes the right hand does the mouth it sounds phenomenally primitive though because i know at the same time there were series which were using head-mounted animatronic technologies and uh, mm. incredibly sophisticated computer-controlled lip-syncing with, with live actors. And, and this really was nothing at all like that. Yeah, well, it was a very clever mix of technology and simplicity, really. For example, they had the camera always at a low angle, or so it looked like you were seeing it from a, a small person's point of view. Because lots of people who've met me are expecting me to be really small, and I'm actually six foot three tall. I was eight feet tall with the aerial. Um, but after I did the Teletubbies, I actually got a job wearing a Jim Henderson lion costume in Hollywood. And I did uh, two TV movies out there. 
and that was seriously heavy duty. I mean, the Teletubbies costumes cost £35,000 each, and the lion costume for Jim Henson, that was £120,000. And the head was actually operated, and all the facial muscles were operated by a person uh, with a little radio remote control set. What was a working day on the set of the Teletubbies like? You mentioned that you were having to wear this enormously hot costume in the middle of a heat wave. We lived in um, a lovely country house hotel in a little tiny Cotswold village a few miles from the location. Uh, so we'd get up very early and have breakfast, which the hotel provided especially for us, because obviously the crew were staying there as well. Um, we'd drive to the location, which was a field. There wasn't even a proper road. We'd just have to drive down a sort of a track. Then we'd get out and we'd go to the porter cabins, which were our dressing rooms. We'd have a script meeting and read through the script, and then we'd get into costume. How did you feel at the end of a working day running around in that fursuit? Well, we were very tired. Um, we'd, uh, we'd, we'd, we'd run around in the, the suits all day. We'd have a, um, a, an inner clothing thing which they gave us. And when we broke for lunch, we'd, take, we'd come out of the suit and, and we'd, uh, we'd be given clean underclothes to, to go into the suit for the afternoon. When we came out, you could actually wring our underclothes out. I remember one time about a pint and a half of sweat was wrung out of my T-shirt and trousers. I remember watching the show for the first time when I was a student and I was impressed because it seemed like the BBC and Ragdoll Productions had intentionally created uh, a gender ambiguous character. And then and now kids shows tend to shy away from questions of gender. So was this your input into the character that created this ambiguity? Not that amb ambiguity, no, because uh, they were very clear that they wanted to give gender to the Teletubbies. Dipsy and Tinky Winky are male, Poe and La La are female. But uh, the mistake that was made was that adults projected adult sexuality onto these pre-sexual creatures because they're aimed at children under five, so they don't want them to have a sexuality for very obvious reasons. And this is when the Jerry Falwell thing came in because he started saying, oh, Tinky Winky's gay because he's got a triangular aerial, which apparently was some sort of gay symbol. He's purple, which was apparently a gay colour, and he has a red handbag, or as they said in America, a red purse, which was uh, I know, something they see as, as, as being used by women. Uh, but he, the mistake he was making was that he was assuming that it was, it was uh, um, aimed at adults. It was aimed at children who didn't have any sort of sexuality in their consciousness. Yeah, it was clearly intended to be just amusing to kids. But, I mean, Jerry Falwell, the televangelist, actually accused you of modelling the gay lifestyle. Those were his exact words, um, which says a lot about what Falwell believed about gay people. The Polish government ordered an inquiry into whether Tinky Winky was harmful for children. Was this why you got fired from the show? No, my, I was fired from the show because my interpretation of the role had not been accepted. The right-wing people in the Polish government did try to ban the show, but they didn't manage to. Um, the show is actually banned in Kazakhstan by personal order of the president on the grounds that Tinky Winky is a sexual pervert. But the show is very popular in Iran, which is a strictly Islamic nation, uh, Indonesia, China, India, and, of course, many other countries like America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and most countries in Europe. There was a claim in the media that you had said that you portrayed the Tinky Winky character as a homosexual. Um, no, that, that, that's, again, it's all part of the myth. There's a, there's a whole load of myth about it. 
But I got fired on the 1st of November 1996, on the last day of the first season of filming, because I didn't film it in the winter. It didn't go out until Easter Sunday, the following spring. Because after, the time, after I was sacked on the 1st of November 96, I just went back to doing the comedy circuits. I, I never stopped doing the stand-up comedy. So that, that means the entire reported chronology is bogus. Totally wrong. And they knew it. I got sacked. Um, my letter of sacking, which I still have, said that we accept that you've done it, you've given it your best shot, but your interpretation of the role of Tinky Winky has not been accepted. And when I got sacked, the guy inside the Nunu got sacked, loads of other people got fired, including the designer, who was a co-owner of Ragdoll, and he got fired at the same time as I got fired. Loads of us got sacked. Some of your former colleagues from the Teletubbies are still in kids' TV today, but your career has taken a dramatically different course. Are you still in contact with any of those Teletubbies? I'm still in touch with John Simmett because he's a stand-up comic. He played Dipsy. Um, I, I, didn't, uh, I, I didn't consciously decide to do TV for children or not to do it. I was a stand-up comic on the circuit who also did um, acting work. And uh, they approached me and they asked me to do the show. I didn't approach them. And so when I got fired, I just went back to doing what I was doing. Well, I was doing it all the time anyway whilst I was filming it, which is doing stand-up comedy and other acting work and other writing work that people might offer me. I understand more recently you've been writing a book. Yeah, well, I've written a novel, and it's called The Sex Life of a Comedian, and it's about a stand-up comic on the circuit who gets a job wearing a blue furry costume in a TV show and then gets fired. But it's nothing to do with the actual Teletubbies uh, or anything like that because my job is to entertain people and create art and the last thing I'd want to do is cause anybody hurt feelings or offend anybody because I'm not in that business. So I've deliberately made sure that uh, nobody who I've worked with or who knows me could ever have any reason to claim that uh, they were in the book. I've just downloaded the novel it is an astonishing story of life on the international comedy circuit. And even though there are elements which are clearly fantasy, I get the impression that this book is more than semi-autobiographical. Well, uh, I say that it's a mythologization of my own life, in that emotionally some things are true, but there's nothing, there's nothing true in terms of uh, any, where anyone could be offended. Because, I, as I said, I wouldn't want anyone to be hurt. And if there's anybody who I dislike, then the last thing I'd want to do is give them a part in my book. Dave's new book, The Sex Life of a Comedian, is possibly the most debauched book I've read in the last ten years. It's as fantastic as Robert Anton Wilson, but with the chemically induced hedonism of a Freak Brothers comic. And it's available right now from Lulu, and will soon be available from all major ebook stores. If you want to get your copy, you can follow the link in the Pod Delusion show notes. This is Salem Fadley for the Pod Delusion.